This is Fractal Marketing, the podcast for innovative entrepreneurs taking their product to market. Each show, we take an outside look at one company's marketing and discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, over to your host, Jared Doyle. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Fractal Marketing Podcast. As usual, I am joined by Lou and Daniel. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here, yeah? (laughs) I'm just going to admit it straight up. We actually organized before Henny was going to speak first because we keep floundering at the start of episodes. So there we go. We nailed it. This is going to be the best episode ever. And... Based on the end of the previous episode where we went, where else could we possibly go to next? And we said space. We are going to talk about SpaceX and we are going to try to look at SpaceX as marketers and to see what SpaceX does. Because let's face it, we have moved from space being a nationalistic pride thing, although it still is. We're moving into commercial space and commercial space means that there's some kind of marketing behind what you do when you're SpaceX and you need to sell satellites in canisters and bums on seats at some point in the future and hopefully give shareholders and investors some kind of return. So there's a lot of different ways we could look at this and skin this SpaceX cat, but I'm going to start with Louise, who is our resident business-to-business expert. Lou, how do you see SpaceX marketing and their business-to-business flow? Yes, Jared. Last week when we mentioned SpaceX, I thought it'll be rockets and toys, but it we finally get to a B2B topic, which you know I love, and this is perfect for all our listeners who exist in B2B and think that B2B can't be sexy. Well, SpaceX is pretty much one of the sexiest brands there is, and they're B2B. I mean, when you boil it right down, they're selling services to governments, to big corporates, and they're competing with some of the oldest companies in the world like Boeing. In that case, the first step is always the boring, the functional. But these guys have completely thrown the B2B rule book out, and I think they've taken this really nice learnings from B to C and brought it in. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk more on them today. I was just typing away on my keyboard there trying to remember the name of something. So you caught me <laughs> off guard, Lou. So what, what is it about that? What do you think that SpaceX is doing right? When it comes to B2B marketing, what are they doing that's really, really good? And what do you think they probably, where's an area they need to improve on? I think the most interesting thing is that they realize that space for the governments and for the corporates that are buying their services is something that's seen as, I guess, discretionary to some extent. So I actually think the way that they market is to also support how the government sells the space spend to the taxpayer. You know, they've made it so transparent and you can be a part of the process of seeing these rockets launch knowing that your tax your taxes are going towards those programs to some extent. So it's surprising how much any other B2B consultancy or, or, or service provider selling into government, you, you don't hear about them. You don't see them. But these guys are up front, out front, really redefining what the space category is and the opportunities there are. And there's a lot of education that needs to be, to be made in that space as well. 
I like that view there, is that, which is, okay, yes, you're taking government money, but it's almost like thinking about who the different stakeholders in. So we know B2B, yeah, okay, the deal might be signed by one person, but there's multiple stakeholders and you've just gone, okay, there's some government funding, government money comes from citizens, citizens of people who like to see space rockets as make it a show. And effectively, they're getting buy-in from those, you know, stakeholders once removed, which is giving them that momentum, the branding, the catalyst to kind of keep going. And then you think to yourself, if you were the US government subsidizing SpaceX and helping them out and giving them access to launch, you know, windows or whatever they need to do, I'm totally ignorant to this space, you're going to be hard pressed to stop it, aren't you? Because people like rockets. So yeah, I think I love that advice. If you, if you're doing B2B, the way I'm extrapolating your advice there, Lou, is to say, if you're doing B2B, don't just sell to the CFO who you want to sign off on it, sell to every single person who's going to be touching this product and increase the chances of not only getting the sale, but retaining it. Nice one. All right, Daniel, what do you think? What's SpaceX doing well on their marketing? I, I'm going to go complete opposite instead of B2B. I, I really do find it interesting their sort of almost B2C approach with their merchandise. Like this very sort of like, and you know, he's known for that. Musk is known for, I've got this thing. How about I throw in a flamethrower? Like as a product, you know, like the, the boring company. And it's, it's really interesting because, you know, it's their, their major product is, their core product is, is rockets or, well, you've got what rockets, you've got their uh, ride share service, which they've got, got out. You've got, what's it called? The um, internet that they're putting up in the world. I forget what it's called now. That's just me. But yeah, like Sky- Skynet or something, isn't it? Straight yeah. out Terminator. <laughs> yeah, something like that, probably. Well, you know, we've got Tesla on one end, so we might as well have Skynet on the other. But yeah, so I think there's this B2C model with the with the getting the merch, you know, as a secondary product, like let's sell direct consumers so the brand awareness gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But then there's also, to, to me, it's kind of like the B2B2C model as well because once they get all this internet up and running, of course, it's just going to be like the MBN in Australia, you know, here's the infrastructure hey, if everyone wants to sell it, they sell it. But they're really selling to consumers and there's just that intermediary with the people who are going to sell the plans and stuff like that. And, you know, already if you look around, there are people in rural areas who are on SpaceX's internet service and they are already getting these massive reviews from it about how great it is and how big it is. So I think that, yeah, we can be like B2B-wise, you know, they have governments, they have all this other stuff, but they're just trying to do everything for a lot of people, including the B2C space. And then from from the other side of building rockets, there's so much political marketing behind it as well. Because, you know, they, they have had some issues in the past with their rockets exploding or <laughs> having some issues with, you know, uh, going butting heads with the government in, uh, in the US because of some of the just going ahead and doing launches and safety issues and all that. So there's this fine line I think they're treading to. You know, it's like, how much can we go ahead? How much can we use the Uber model and just do things versus how much should we be working with the governments? And that really does reflect in their marketing when they're like, no, we're safe and we do this and we do that. But yeah, it's such an interesting company. And it's Musk anyway. So everything he touches is interesting. (laughs) I like the way you're talking there about B2B to C or this idea that there's companies in between that sell and resell. And I, I had this in my mind's eye, like a Qantas airline ticket with a code share with SpaceX, you know, so you get your Qantas flight across and then code share with SpaceX. But it's that idea of, thinking big and pitching to consumers. And I find it almost a little bit ironic that Google, who created their moonshot 
incubator lab internally, which was to come up with moonshots, i.e. ideas that might not come off, but if they did, it'd be amazing. And they invested heaps of money behind it. And the idea of it is that, you know, shoot for the moon. And their idea was to come up with like a Skynet equivalent through hot air balloons into the upper atmosphere. And then Elon Musk literally goes, you know, to the moon and beyond with his solution for the internet. And you just, it was just, it's just amazing how, Big ideas and grand ideas just resonate with people. And that even one of the great innovators of modern time being Google, incubating people who were supposed to come up with the biggest and the best ideas, managed to come up with a hot air balloon equivalent, you know, competition to Elon's rocket. You know, you just go, wow, Google, you, your moonshot team totally undershot the moon. And, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I think they even closed it down. I think, I think Google's given up. They don't think big enough anymore. So, yeah, interesting approach. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that, right, with Google, because, you know, it's it kind of makes sense. Maybe maybe they opened it up at a time where, you know, no one was really considering, hey, I'm going to literally build rockets and and rockets with the amount of fuel costs and all that sort of stuff is not it's it's not a it's not a great starter investment, is it? Like, like I don't think Musk could have done this as his first company. I like I think he he bought into it as he normally does, except PayPal, I think, was the only one he was starting with and co-founding. I don't know um, too much about that. But, you know, like, I don't think he could have done this in the beginning. Like, he couldn't shoot for the moon in the beginning. He had to build up. And he's but he's constantly been building every time he's done something new. Right. He's and it's now it's really, really like like mechanical stuff which i think is his his forte it's it's that sort of stuff so i think he he was like maybe had the plan to begin with but built up towards it but i think with something like google and an incubator is like you're in here to solve this problem now not later now so it's that sort of like what are we going to do about it now with the resources that we have and hot air balloons are just (laughs) we're probably just there like it was you know they were in there like this could be it I love it. So just segue. So so for me, SpaceX's marketing is Elon. Like I think about that and I just go, right, when if I'm talking to a founder of a company, I'll often talk about the idea that you go founder branding, company branding, product branding. And he gets this absolutely. And people sometimes fall in this trap of thinking they need to remove themselves. Like a startup company, we've got, you know, 10,000, 50,000 worth of monthly revenue, and they want to remove themselves from the marketing. And yet you think about the big companies in the world and who's, you know, so you go, Elon, you know, he flicks in and out. I think at one stage he was the richest. I think he's the third or second richest in the world at the moment. But who's he up against? It's kind of Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. I mean, there are, these people are brands. Even Bill Gates, you know, he's the opposite of wanting to be, you know, a brand, but he is a brand in himself. And, and yet we faced, we face all the time founders who want to hide behind a company or even a brand. And so when I think about the way these things space, you know, so Elon's got his personal founder brand. He's then got all of his company brands, SpaceX, Tesla, we've covered those. And then he does products behind that. So you might have the power wall, which is, a, you know, a subset of Tesla and what they're able to do. And even to the point of his rockets have got brands, which you know, I think I was looking up before when Lou was asking me a question, the Falcon and the heavy Falcon and the Falcon 9, whatever they're called. But so he's taken that approach, Amazon's sort of all in, but Amazon still doesn't move away from it. And I think 
there's so much that founders can learn that a founder can drive the brand of their company. And you've got to look at those three steps. So the first step is founder branding. Second step is company branding and then product. And, you know, look, when you're the richest or the second richest person in the world, you can spin off multiple companies. When those companies become the most valuable companies in the world, then, yeah, you can spin off products. And yet we see small companies all the time trying to replicate this because they believe that because it's successful for a big company, it must be right for them. And it just isn't. And yet at the same time, they walk away from their biggest branding asset, which is themselves. So when I look at Elon and I look at SpaceX, I kind of go, you can't separate the two. It's a dude with what, 42, 49 million Twitter followers to the point where the SEC's, you know, investigating him for securities issues and he's had cases thrown against him because he's had to come up with different ideas and he's you know the tweets that he's made fueled all sorts of kind of problems and you kind of go okay so that's the power that he has and he's got to be careful about that and then i think um what did he do recently i think he changed his job title to his now what was he he's gone what did he do i'm gonna look up the name of it so I'm going to look it up in a second, but he's giving himself some cryptic name that he's changed. What's he? I'll have to look it up in a second. I'll come back later. But the point is he made this change and it made news everywhere. And he's just so good at doing it. And, you know, looping back to the point you made before, Daniel, which is exactly it. He brought out the boring company, which has its own mission as well. But to sell flamethrowers, he just knows what it is to always be in the main point. I remember that he, he re. So he's officially renamed his chief financial officer as I think the master of coin. <laughs> I forget yeah. what he called himself now, but as, as CFO's master of coin, what is he, Dan? Techno king of Tesla. I was like, it's got to be some sort of almost <laughs> bro-ish language. And it was, it was, yeah, techno king of Tesla. All I think, is one word. Oh, no, techno king is, yeah, all one word. It's one I'm, word. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure there's some EDM bands out there that'll probably dislike that, but like... <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, he's released his own singles as uh, his own EDM sang- singles. I think he's on Spotify. I think you can go find it. He's mixing his own his own tracks and he's released them. So, you know, this is the level of crazy. And I, I look at the founders around who have come out of Brisbane. I look at the people who have, you know, built names and brands themselves. Their companies aren't all, I'm not going to say who they are because I'm going to also say like sometimes their companies aren't the best. Sometimes it's not quite right. But gee, if you make enough noise, you shout, you play the right game, you talk, you can be successful just because you're playing the personal brand space really, really well. So for me, I mean, SpaceX, yep, that's up there, but you know, Dan, your segue was brilliant for the point that I wanted to make, which was, you know, look, it's Elon. He couldn't have done it at the start to this grand scale, but he's built his personal brand company after company after company to the point where he's just able to command so much that his Twitter account can get him into trouble if it looks like he's manipulating the um, the stock market. So anyway, my head lesson is, is go about it with founder branding, even for something as grandiose as SpaceX. They certainly have had a challenge right from the start. Much like when he was at PayPal, he was completely redefining an existing market. And now he's taking space, which which at its heart, people still, if a rocket crashes, they think of the people in it. They think back to Challenger. So, so SpaceX has had such a complex story to sell to both their clients and to the wider public about the the way you expect a space program to work. The fact that 
what wasn't possible before is now going to be possible if we can create rockets that can launch and can land. But those first images of rockets, test rockets coming down and crashing, must have felt like such a challenge to be able to deal with in terms of the marketing and PR. And I think that's why PR is such a big part of their story. Normally in a B2B brand, PR is about protection, is about risk mitigation. But these guys have done probably one of the best PR stunts in the last few years with the, the car and, it, you know, be, launching a car into space. I mean, that's something that you only see with the biggest, boldest brands in the B2C space. But I think it was all about this idea that they were trying to break down the perception of what people thought was good in space and take them along with this journey. And that's where I think his founder, you know, even more credit has to be given to him as a founder brand because he is carrying that message along with him. The company is absolutely teaching people as they go. That's what they're use video as a medium to be highly transparent. But also I think because they see him as an innovator, the wider stakeholder group are prepared for mistakes. They're okay with failure because they see this guy as being on the fringe, you know, on the fringe of the next innovation wave rather than trailing. So, you know, it's it's so much work to do. And to be honest, it's one of the few – few brands where I'd say you don't get to do much of that without any money. Let's be honest. There's a lot of money in place. So there's definitely things to learn, but a lot of it's just brute force and a lot of money. But I will take the fair. I completely agree that the presence of a founder to sell the story, and in their case, quite a complex one, is absolutely key. See, I definitely want to go on to back to SpaceX, but I, yeah, you just you can't talk about SpaceX without talking about Musk. And to me, when I when I think back on everything he's ever done, when you really look at it, he I think he's done one thing right, and it's like, and that's once again, it's just my opinion on co-founders and that sort of stuff. But like, he's never done anything by himself. The majority of the time, he's co-founded with other people or he's joined boards and like turn those companies into a direction that is more marketable and and just better and and it is uh to your point jared it is definitely based on his personal brand like the second he attaches himself to any company people start picking up there's probably an like a a bunch of vcs that just want to throw money at at him and hope something sticks so like i think he just constantly is that sort of person that is like i'm not he like He's not really going to do anything by himself because he wants to do so many things. So he's co-founding all these different companies, all within the same space, and then making them work. But when it comes to SpaceX, though, I kind of want to have this, like, a little bit of a conversation about the difference between SpaceX marketing and, say, NASA's. Like, these two very, very, like, NASA's been around forever, (laughs) and then you have SpaceX, this competitor, and it's government versus commercial. And I think that would, that's a really interesting thing to consider is the, is the double-sided, like the two-sided, two sides of the marketing ploy they have going. Yeah, I've just one thing to add to what you were saying before. I think it was a, you know, a few weeks ago when he tweeted about Game Stonk. I think he just put one tweet and all of a sudden the stock jumped like another 92% over the course of that week, in which, you know, it wasn't completely down to him, but it was there. But if you doubted it, at the same time, he also mentioned that he liked Etsy and their stock spiked off the back of it as well. So the dude has gravitas in, in particular markets, so credit to him. But to what you were saying 
they're about moving in and and the different ways they're going to commercialize this business. It's it's going to get to a point where you know you do need to just need to turn and cargo needs to pay its way and it needs to be self funded. Do you think that SpaceX is building enough of a, def- of a defensive brand so that if you were in this space, if you were looking to launch a satellite, if you were tel- if you were Telstra and it was Optus and you were trying to decide where you wanted to launch next satellite, I'm betting that if I was working on the marketing side of Telstra, I would want my satellite being launched by SpaceX so I could tell everyone that an Australian tel- tel- Telstra satellite is about to go up in one of Elon Musk's SpaceX rockets. That probably carries like a 20% brand premium for that brand. Maybe more. I mean, I don't know what the cost is, but I guess in my mind, it's SpaceX with that brand is going to be able to charge more because brands want to align to what they're doing in the same way that if I'm the premier of a state and I'm trying to come up with a clean energy solution and there's a whole bunch of battery companies out there, but Elon Musk tweets and Powerwall, Tesla Powerwall is going to turn up in South Australia or Victoria and install it. It might be an inferior product. It might be more exciting, uh, sorry, more expensive. But when that brand comes with it, you know they're going to pay over the odds for it, but so what? You get the, you get to ride the the, the brand wagon. So uh, maybe he has created a, a defensive brand, and maybe it's going to be more profitable than everybody else in the future. Or or maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think he he does have that. But once again, I think if we go back to you know fundamentals of marketing, it's you know a certain product or a certain brand for a certain audience. So you know when when it when you say that it's like yeah if I'm Telstra and I want to launch something I'm going to go with Tesla but only if they want to launch something where they want that global pull right like and of course there are people in Australia it's like ooh Tesla but then you also have the the thing with you know like keeping it in Australia which is something that's pretty big in branding especially since the pandemic so we do have some rocket companies I believe in Australia so Telstra could look at a smaller company and be like, hey, why don't we match with them? Because it'll look great considering our major market is Australia itself. But you are also right. Like, it is Elon Musk. It is SpaceX. And they're probably more likely to do that. So, I guess it really depends on what they want to get out of that campaign, but also actually could be where the money comes as well. Because if it's government money and the government's like, no, don't work with international people. We want you to work with local people first, then they might do that instead. So I think it really depends on on what it is. So yeah, he probably has a defensible market, but I think he could also probably face small competitors, you know, like Google's pretty big, but you still have Bing, you still have DuckDuckGo, like it yeah, I think there's always going to be a little bit of competition. That's a, that's the definite a little bit of competition with being in DuckDuckGo is exactly right. There's <laughs> a tiny amount of competition. I think Sorry, uh, Yeah, Luke. just to round that out, I think that's that's where we have to challenge brand as the primary and whether when you're building, when you're restructuring a category and the way people think about it and you're brand led, to what extent can that continue to be your focus? Because ultimately you need to build a feasible business. So it certainly built them opportunities that they wouldn't have been, uh, wouldn't have been able to access otherwise because they're seen as innovators and people buying from them or utilizing the services I should say want to be attached to that name but ultimately there's other people that will be able to do what they do and this space never needed you know huge amounts of brand marketing in the past it was always about risk mitigation it was always about technical excellence 
it wasn't about shiny stuff and putting cars in space, right? So ultimately, the market's probably big enough for everyone and their use cases will, I guess, shrink and, and develop about where the market sits now that they've recalibrated the market and said, okay, this is what people expect from my local rocket launching partner. I'm not sure that's actually the category. I think we could just call it the space space category. But yeah, now, now we see how far this brand can stretch and what opportunities don't come because it's all about the noise of the brand and the story and maybe not enough of a focus on the way it's sold, the way it's serviced, the way it aligns with their with their customers. So that'll be the challenge, I guess, in the next three to five years, particularly since they're now really reaching a technical excellence point. So they're at a point and their competitors are chasing them down. So watch this space. We'll do it. We'll do a re we'll do We'll come back to it in three years and see what happens. <laughs> Fantastic. So just going to give like last thoughts or last nugget of insight into this from my point of view, I'm just going to touch on that idea of launching a car, which is one of your company brands, Tesla, out of your SpaceX, which was one of your other brands. That idea of cross-promotion, two tech companies, common founder, that's just marketing gold. So I'm going to give Elon props and then a cross-promotion props. Dan, what's your leaving nugget? You know what? It's weird. Once again, you know, we're talking about SpaceX, but you can't do that without talking about Elon. And considering, you know, we're we're sort of looking at this from a, you know, a founder's point of view, I would be really careful about how much you sort of go from business to business to begin with, because I, I think, you know, Elon did, what is it, zip, zip something, uh, and then PayPal, and, and then, but as he got better and more followers and more people and started doing, he started to do more. So, he really knew when to start ramping up his finger in many pies situation going on. Uh, and I think that's a really good thing to take away is to really understand when you want to start doing more than what you're just doing. And my wrap up's going to go to B to B to B to C. So obviously, if they were starting today, someone would hand them the B to B marketing textbook, which has a lot of automation and a lot of uh, long-term selling principles. And, you know, and it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be the business they've got today. So the importance of being able to facilitate the business and relationships that you're doing with your direct customers and to their wider stakeholder groups is really important. And in their case, those wider stakeholder groups are taxpayers, are a whole nation. So B2C principles, pulling in those things that we would consider in the B2C toolkit may actually be really helpful for people that are traditionally in the B2B space that are ultimately trying a B2B sale but need that, you know, need that kind of exposure at the grander level. So much more PR, much more broad-based marketing, a lot of video, amazing storytelling in video, all of which often only leveraged by B2C. So maybe not throw the B2B marketing rule book, but try and put a few more appendix, put appendices in the back with a few more options. Fantastic. Love it, Lou. Thanks so much, guys. That's a wrap. And we will catch you on the next episode. We're going to bring whatever the topic is back down to earth. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. 
As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.